You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast exploring solutions for sustainability and equity in water. I'm the host, Travis Loop. This is episode number 198, Funding to Fight Lead, Technical Assistance. Historic levels of funding are available to replace lead service lines across the United States, but thousands of water systems are so small they lack the staff expertise and capacity needed to identify, apply for, and manage funds. That's why there is a massive push to expand and deploy technical assistance, including the launch of more environmental finance centers. The effort is discussed in this episode with Palencia Mobley, Midwest Funding Navigator Manager for the Environmental Policy Innovation Center. The episode also features a conversation with Dante Sawyer, Village Manager for Hazelcrest in Illinois, who shares the experience of a small municipality that utilized technical assistance to fund removal of lead lines. Before starting, I want to acknowledge the sponsors that made this series possible, Blue Conduit, 120 Water, and LeadCopperRule.com. I'll talk briefly about each of them and then start the episode. This episode is sponsored by Blue Conduit. Blue Conduit is a water analytics company that has developed a cutting edge, predictive machine learning approach to locate lead service lines, empowering local officials and their engineering partners with the information to efficiently remove those pipes. The company's solutions enable utilities to focus their resources on digging where the lead is, accelerating the removal of this significant health concern and saving millions of dollars in avoided digs. Since 2016, the Blue Conduit team has worked with more than 100 municipalities and inventoried over 1.8 million service lines, which serve more than 4 million people. Visit blueconduit.com. This episode is sponsored by 120 Water. 120 Water is the only end-to-end solution for implementing the lead and copper rule revisions. They currently work with over 600 water systems, ranging from rural water communities that serve less than 3,000 people to major cities like Denver, Pittsburgh, and Newark. They also manage city and statewide drinking water programs, such as lead in schools and daycares. 120 Water is a digital water platform with cloud-based software, products such as water testing kits, lead validation kits, and remediation kits, and services that water systems and state agencies use to execute water quality programs. Learn more at 120water.com. This episode is sponsored by LeadCopperRule.com. The lead and copper rule doesn't just create compliance challenges for water utilities, it also creates several public information flashpoints that put the reputations of utilities at risk. LeadCopperRule.com can help your utility stay ahead of the lead and copper rule for years to come. Their proven communication plans and products are ready in an instant, and their expert staff can guide your response to any lead information emergency. Be ready to protect the public's trust in your water from day one. 
Visit leadcopperrule.com today to set up your free initial consultation. You're in the water loop. Palencia, I'm really glad to have you on the podcast uh, to talk about technical assistance, uh, you know, as it pertains to funding lead service lines. But I think that technical assistance is a big umbrella um, and a lot of the things these utilities need uh, kind of apply across the board. Um, Could you talk a little bit about the situation that a lot of systems are in that that mean they need to go get technical assistance? How are they kind of just under-resourced? So thanks, uh, Travis. I am glad to be here with you today and, and to talk about these very important issues facing utilities across the country as it relates to lead service line and overall utility management and operations. Uh, generally speaking, many of our utilities are just under-resourced. They do not have human capacity nor financial capacity to manage a lot of the issues that are coming about uh, with respect to various regulation changes, but more importantly, lead service lines. A couple things to note uh, specifically with service lines. Many utilities, you know, when homes were constructed, businesses were constructed, there would be a service card. And on that service card, it may say one inch 1949, January 1st, 1949. And it may not give you any other delineation or information about the type of material. That service line card will also give you the general location of that service line. But that's pretty much it. It doesn't give you any specifics. For most utilities, a lot of those service uh, cards have never been digitized. Uh, they're in a, in a file cabinet, you know, in a room, in an office. So getting those things uh, updated and getting them into a digital format into something like a geographic information system is one piece of it. Uh, the other piece of the entire lead service line conversation, you know, oftentimes if utilities have gone out and replaced a uh, water main, then they have replaced what's considered the public side of the service. Uh, and that varies uh, from place to place, but they have replaced the portion of the service line is, that is theirs. Oftentimes, the records are not great to show where, in fact, those uh, public service lines have been changed. Some cases, you will have a resident or whatever business owner where they have had to change their service line because there was a failure years ago. Uh, And sometimes those records are not very accurate either. So there are a multitude of issues that arise when it comes to lead service line replacement, what some of the needs are, and even understanding the entire inventory that you may have, whether you have, you know, 4,000 full lead service lines from water main into the home that need to be replaced, or do you have a thousand partial lead service line replacements, meaning from the property line into the home is a, a needs to be replaced, or do you have a lot of public or, you know, public side replacements that may need to occur? So there are a host of issues as it relates to utilities really having the information they need to do this efficiently uh, and effectively and quickly uh, uh, and being able to change out these service lines. For these systems, they've got to cross all those challenges. And then at some point, they might be ready to try to get funding to actually do the work, right? To get these lead pipes out of the ground, put in, uh, you know, the alternatives. Uh, I know that a lot of these systems are, it's tough for them to even have the staff or the capacity to apply for grants and loans. Could you talk about that a little bit? 
Oh, sure. The process, you know, have you ever bought a house? You know, <laughs> I have. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. To your podcast where I have bought a house. <laughs> and so you think there's a lot of paperwork here. I've signed a lot of things. There's a lot of information I had to bring to the table. There are a lot of things I needed to know um, to, to get this, this loan closed, to get this mortgage. Uh, federal dollars, uh, uh, local dollars, state dollars, there also is an application process, and it does require uh, that you have uh, recent rate studies. You know what your, your your rates are that you're charging. You know how much uh, additional this loan may create. And that's one of the things, particularly about water infrastructure funding and financing. Most of this money is a loan. So utilities have to understand how much they can borrow what that repayment term looks like, and how that is going to affect rates. Uh, and so oftentimes, they just need a little bit of help getting to that place and getting an understanding. Sometimes utilities have never applied for state revolving funds. Uh, some utilities are in a position where they can revenue finance a lot of the work uh, that they may need to do from a capital perspective. And so they're accustomed to, hey, being able to just put out a... Uh, uh, a request for bid, issuing a set of specifications that detail the way they want the work done, drawings that show, you know, the locations of where the work is and having contractors respond to that. But when you talk about getting financing from uh, uh, the state and or the federal government, and particularly for water infrastructure funding, you need to know the rules of your state. Uh, some states for particularly lead service lines have issue special allocations of their drinking water financing. Some states have decided to issue ARPA funds uh, for that money. Some states have put other sources of revenue into the pot to do lead service lines. But overall, if you've never applied for this funding, then uh, there's just other information that you typically need or assistance you need as a community to get those applications filled out. And each state has slightly different uh, information that is required uh, in those different uh, applications. Mm -hmm. So am I correct that there is now uh, an effort underway to kind of increase the technical assistance that's available for water systems in general, yes, around all this infrastructure funding, but also specifically for how to access dollars for lead service line replacement? That, that kind of ecosystem is being built? Yes. So that ecosystem is being built. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency has what are called environmental finance centers. And there are 25 regional environmental finance centers and four national environmental finance centers. And uh, all of us are tasked with providing technical assistance to communities. And that looks like different things in different places. W one thing that is, is consistent is no matter whether you're applying for lit service line funding or water main replacement funding, there are various things that you have to do that are going to be the same. Because generally speaking, the application process goes to the drinking water state revolving fund process. Unless you have a state who has decided to do a special allocation, right, or earmark of sorts, and is just going to, you know, fund this uh, with, with general fund dollars, um, and they may have a, a different process that they require for that. Uh, and oftentimes that's you getting a call that says, hey, you're in the state budget for X number of dollars specifically 
for lead service line replacement, you know, uh, because someone uh, advocated for you. But generally speaking, the same uh, information is required, understanding whether or not you would be considered a disadvantaged or significantly overburdened community and completing whatever worksheet or documentation is required for your specific state. Understanding, again, like I said, how this will affect your rates uh, into the future. Under Going into this understanding, you may not be eligible for a grant. Uh, the state revolving funds have a certain element of them that uh, consider principal forgiveness, depending on your status as a disadvantaged or uh, some states use two different terms. They will have overburden or significantly overburden. And depending on that particular designation, there will be, uh, you know, certain requirements around how you pay back the loan, what percentage interest rate you have. And so for a lot of utilities, the minute they hear a loan, that is something that they're like, well, wait, I thought it was going to be a grant. Well, you don't really know what your particular principal forgiveness could be, right? So how much of the money that you need to borrow may be forgiven? Um, you won't know that until you finish going through the process with the state. You find out, hey, you're going to be awarded. Um, and then they'll, once they uh, do their uh, project priority list, they'll indicate all the places that they're funding, how much of it will be principal forgiveness, how much of it may be in some states still had ARPA money they were spending down, uh, how much of it is ARPA funding. So again, there are a lot of nuanced uh, requirements that you'll have to understand to be able to go after this funding, whether it's for lead service lines or uh, other infrastructure in your utility. Hmm. I think you said 25 environmental finance centers that have been basically stood up or, or uh, approved by EPA over just like the past year or so. Is that right? So, so these are environments. Many of these environmental finance centers existed prior to the bill and IIJA work. The four national environmental finance centers, though, were all stood up uh, in the last year. And so there are, I, I work for the Environmental Policy Innovation Center. And so we're one of the four national uh, environmental finance centers that has been uh, uh, awarded or stood up in the last year. Can you talk a little bit more about like the process for a system if they kind of put their hand up and they're like, we need help. And, you know, they come to you all. They come to one of the other EFCs. Uh, what does that look like for them? Sure thing. So one of the, the first things we do is just get an understanding of their system know about your system, what information uh, don't you know, do you have an asset management plan, do you have a capital improvement plan, you know, have you had a recent financial review and or audit, um, when's the last time you did a rate study, there are tons of questions we ask through a screening analysis. Um, and from that, we then have the information we need to, to come up with a work plan. Uh, exactly what are we doing to assist you? So in some uh, cases, it may be that we want to bring in additional resources to help you, let's say, identify uh, where your, your service lines are so you can actually complete a lead service line uh, inventory. In other cases, when I'm uh, done talking to you, I'll have everything I need and say, you know what, hey, we have enough information based on your existing documentation to actually complete a notice to apply. Every state refers to that differently. Some states call it a funding notification form, but it's you saying to the state, hey, hey, uh, I want to apply for some funding 
for lead service lines and or, you know, other uh, infrastructure uh, projects. And then you'll spend that time uh, from 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 submitting that form to when it's time to submit the application, getting all of your documentation together and, and, and working with a technical assistance provider to develop your state revolving fund application. And it's fairly simple, but it's about having the time to put your hands on the documents. Um, as we like to say, you know, in uh, smaller places, more disadvantaged places, they may not have full use and range of some technology that larger utilities may have. Uh, and so a lot of their things are paper-based. So that may mean I or another technical assistance provider is going out to that utility and helping them look for the things that we've talked about that they're, they're pretty sure they have um, and, and going through the process of identifying what that looks like. Because these are not things that are scanned, right? These may be hard copies that they uh, do not have um, in a digital format uh, or, or, or cannot get them in a digital format. So a lot of it is really being a resource. But when you are under-resourced, oftentimes it is difficult to be even to be in a position to even accept help because you are running the system, you know, making repairs, administering contracts. And even though uh, this is a free resource, trying to make the time to gain access to that resource can be a challenge. We understand that. And so one of the things is just having a full understanding that, you know, some people may say, well, this, this should be a fairly quick process. You know, it shouldn't take uh, six months or it shouldn't take a year or it shouldn't take 18 months. But again, you, the resource, none of us can ever get back really is time, right? You can mm. always make, can't make more time. And so when you are in a position where you have very little human resource, right, that infringes on time. And so then being able to have the time to work with you, because again, we're not subject matter experts on your specific utility. I'm a subject matter expert uh, just in general, but I'm not a subject matter expert on your utility or your community. So there are things you're going to, I, I need you, right? I need you uh, uh, to work with me on so that I can help you. Mm. No, that makes that makes complete sense. Uh, do you have any advice to utilities on that front then, other than just make the time? I mean, how how do you propose to them to, to, to carve this out and make it happen? So this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. Mm -hmm. uh, it's particularly for water infrastructure. Uh, and so you have to make the time. Uh, what we know for sure, right, is that most utilities have challenges when it comes to affordability. Those challenges are only going to continue to increase. Your inability to invest in your system now at today's dollars is only a higher amount five years from now, 10 years from now. And oftentimes your community is not necessarily going to grow or gain new people who are going to be able to contribute uh, to those rates. And that's only going to drive up the cost of doing business. So if we make the time now, what we are doing is saving money. And so we just need to understand if you give me an hour here, you give me two hours there, you give me an hour here, we can get to a place where you are application ready. We can submit an application and we can try uh, diligently to get you funded. And then keep in mind, there may be some other philanthropic dollars out as time goes on uh, that may not be state funded, 
that we may be able to say, hey, well, such and such foundation is very interested in uh, helping a community develop list service line inventory. If you work with me, I can work with you and we can try to get an application in and try to get this funded. But it really is about having patience and diligence and just working the process. Mm. Um, if you, you know, submit an application, maybe you don't score high. And that, that can happen because there are scoring criteria. Maybe you don't score high. Well, let's figure out what happened. And is there a way for us to increase your score? Did we miss something in the application process? What was, was there something maybe not compelling to leave out a document? You know, what was it? Um, but it really is of the utmost importance for you to make the time. The time now equates to, to a reduced, I never like to say reduced rates, right? But a reduced cost of capital later, right? So sure, if sure. I need to spend $5 million today, if I don't spend that $5 million, the likelihood that it's, $5 million 10 years from now is very slim. It's highly, it's closer to seven, might be closer to eight. Because again, yeah. material costs, labor costs are much higher than they have been in some years. Uh, and so I, I will give this frame of reference. Uh, I spent uh, a, a good chunk of my career over the last eight years at the Detroit Water and Sewage Department uh, as the deputy director and chief engineer. And when we initially uh, did lead service line replacement, uh, as part of just a, a grant we did receive from the state of Michigan, I believe it was in the year 2018, the average cost for us to replace a service line was running about $5,000. Fast forward to uh, receiving bids specifically for lead service line replacement, like not lead service lines as a part of water main replacement, just ad hoc you know, what we would consider one-offs, right? Um, we received bids in 22 that were upwards of $8,000, $10,000, somewhere more than that for lead service line replacement. So here's what's true. Cost only goes up with time. And we've all seen, you know, exactly what's happening with inflation right now. So the time you carve out now is well worth the dollars that are potentially saved in the future. Yeah, no, tremendous point. Uh, the cost of, of pretty much anything doesn't seem to go down. We know that in our personal lives, too. So uh, lastly, just where should a system go to try to get connected to this technical assistance? Is there like a central clearinghouse somewhere where they can go? So, yes, we will make sure that you are able to put the actual link up uh, for folks to enter into the EPA database. But there is a web form that folks will fill out to say, hey, I need technical assistance to access uh, infrastructure funding. And through that process, um, those uh, communities are uh, delineated to the environmental finance centers. Perfect, perfect. Well, Palencia, thank you for this valuable perspective on a critical issue. Uh, I look forward to seeing kind of the progress that happens over the next several years as environmental finance centers like the one you're with and others help these communities. But thank you so much. Thank you so much, Travis, and have a great day. Great. Dante, uh, glad I could catch up with you, have you on this podcast to talk about getting lead lines out of the ground. Could you talk about your your community of Hazelcrest there in Illinois? Talk about this place and, and your water system there. Sure. Thank you, Travis, for this opportunity to share this information. Uh, so Hazelcrest is located about uh, 25 
minutes outside of Chicago. Uh, we're located in uh, what's called South Suburban Cook County. And uh, we are, uh, you know, in the process of starting to remove the lead service lines uh, here for our residents in the village. Uh, I say this process probably started uh, back in 2019, uh, where we had an intern with the village. Uh, well, it's not quite an intern. It's, it's through uh, the uh, Metropolitan Mayor's uh, Caucus. Uh, they have an initiative called the Greenest Region. Uh, and through that, we was able to get what is what is known as a region as a greenest region member uh, to help us work on sustainability uh, policies or issues for the village. Uh, that that young lady had identified had what had brought up that lead service line was an item that she was familiar with, and and that uh, she made aware she brought to our attention that there was going to be some moment some momentum around this issue here in the state of Illinois. Uh, and then from there, she was able to connect us with the Metropolitan Planning Council uh, that had provided us with a technical assistance grant uh, to do some preliminary identification of lead service lines in the village, as well as help us come up with a um, uh, with a plan uh, to get the, lead get the lead service line out of um, the ground for our residents, for the community. I mean, how big is your uh, your system, or how many people do you do you serve there? Yeah, so we have a population of about uh, say about thirteen thousand three hundred or so. Uh, we estimate uh, maybe and it fluctuates maybe around between like four thousand five hundred five thousand um, service lines is usually the number we kind of estimate around. And so you know we are um, you know a uh, uh, a pretty normal size, I would say, municipality for South Suburban Cook County. Um, mm -hmm. That kind of ranges. That kind of ranges in those in those population sizes. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, the idea of getting technical assistance, right? Um, why Why is technical assistance so important for a system your size? Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I'm, I'm a municipality of our size. You know, we have a lot of um, um, competing issues for our time. Um, and energy, as well as, you know, it's, it's hard for us to have in-house the technical expertise that may be necessary, uh, particularly to, to submit for um, funding to help uh, help reduce the cost for our municipality uh, in order to provide the service for residents. Uh, through the Metropolitan Planning Council, uh, we was able to um, uh, work with a group called the Center for Neighborhood Technologies, and they have put together a predictive analysis based on some data they collected uh, from our building department, you know, as to the age of the house, uh, other uh, surveys that we had taken, the, uh, the village had initiated a lead service line survey, I want to say back in 2018, when we got about 300 residents. So they had to take various pieces of data uh, and then come up with some type of predictive analysis so we can have a sense of the probability of lead service line for each parcel in the village. And uh, so to be able to get that level of technical expertise um, to assist the village with that process was invaluable because we was then able then to take that information uh, and then, um, unfortunately enough, we was able to have a, a consulting engineer that we work with regularly, and it was able to submit an application into the uh, the state IEPA, so, so the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency, uh, where, we was where we was able to access the state revolving fund and get uh, $4 million for uh, phase one of the lead service line removal project. So a lot of the, the, the work that went into that 
you know, um, one is, you know, uh, we may not have the bandwidth to do that in, in, in conjunction with everything else that a municipality does from uh, uh, police, fire, public works, uh, you know, uh, community engagement. You know, those are, are kind of the day to day activities that we have here in the village. And then so, however, you know, uh, this afforded us the, the ability to expand our bandwidth to get more technical expertise to get this project done. Uh, in addition to that, you know, going out and applying for these grants, you know, you have to have the engineering component of it. You have to have done some of the preliminary research uh, that these grant applications require. And unless, you know, and a lot of communities our size, we just don't have the staff available to, to do that in-house. Yeah, no, absolutely. Makes sense. So uh, where do you stand now? Like you've got that funding, you've got the work kind of queued up. Uh, is that pretty much going forward? And will you be using further assistance kind of throughout the process? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I, I will be remiss if I did not mention, you know, EPIC, uh, the Environmental uh, Policy Innovation Center. Uh, after we were uh, successful in getting that first technical assistance, we went and applied for EPIC, and now we're part of a cohort of about five other communities uh, that's at various stages of the lead service line removal project process. So uh, EPIC has been um, invaluable in helping us like draft communication that goes out to residents, draft press releases, excuse me, draft press releases to uh, uh, so we can uh, continue to raise visibility and awareness about what we're doing uh, with this project. Uh, matter of fact, uh, through the relationship with EPIC, uh, we was actually was able to have an article about what we're doing um, um, written and um, have it placed in the a magazine for the Illinois Municipal League, which is which is probably the leading agency uh, for advocacy and technical assistance for local governments across the state of Illinois. So, you know, being able to talk about the project, raise visibility, raise visibility and awareness about the project has been, um, you know, really aided by groups such as Epic and, and, and so forth. Uh, going forward right now, uh, we are just about to start the process of uh, having a town hall on October 14th to talk with residents in phase one area so we can make them aware of the project, the scope of the project, and how we're going to need their assistance um, and continue to move this project forward. For example, you know, we still have to do uh, more on-site verification. So we we'll need to work with residents to get um, uh, access into their homes so we can determine the status of the lead service line on the private side. So, uh, so with that said, I, I, I guess we're estimating maybe about early November when we actually start putting shovels in the ground to remove these leads to start the process of removing the lead surface lines. Oh man, that's exciting stuff! It's been a journey, right? <laughs> Just to get to that point. <laughs> you know, you're talking. You said 2019, right? So, like, literally four years ago. The ball starts going, and it takes. It can take this long to to get put it all together, right? It can, it can, it can. Yeah, you know, uh, definitely. But again, you know, it, because this, you know, this is something. This, this initiative here in the state of Illinois, uh, they had passed state leg. They had passed the state legislation. I want to say maybe last year in the last year's um, legislative calendar, where they were requiring all municipalities. Uh, to identify the number of lead service lines in their community and to produce a plan. Your 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 deadline to get that in was based on the size of your municipality. And I think because of our you know early start, we was able to you know get in the front of the line for uh, for funding opportunities and pull us well ahead on the path of meeting that deadline that the state has required. Mm -hmm. 
Other communities like yours across the country, there's thousands of them, right? And there's all these lead lines out there um, and there's new requirements to deal with it. What would be your advice to people working at, at the water systems in these small communities on, on pursuing technical assistance and just like how they should kind of go about this and, and what the experience is like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say uh, definitely maybe start with some of the uh, local planning agencies uh, in your community uh, or regional planning agency that's in your community. Oftentimes, they may be the ones that are aware uh, uh, of what's going on related to this matter. Uh, maybe talk to some of the, uh, your other you know, county and state agencies. Uh, we're actually uh, part of another uh, pilot program that's being manned by um, our county, um, Cook County. Uh, we're called Lead Care Cook County, where they are working with us uh, to uh, help get the lead out for our home daycare providers. So, you know, you know, talking to your other local county or state agencies would be a good way to start. Uh, also, maybe talk with groups in your community that's doing advocacy around this issue. Uh, there may be a group that's doing advocacy around environmental um, issues and they may be working on this issue. Uh, there may be uh, uh, agencies that's doing work around, uh, you know, uh, accessibility to clean and safe water, and they may help you um, identify additional resources, you know, uh, um, additional resources for your community on this issue. So if I had to kind of like sum it up and recap it again, I say, hey, you know, work with advocacy groups, uh, maybe work with local and regional planning councils, you know, around this around this um, issue. And then talk with, uh, you know, some of your counterparts at the county or state level. And then also maybe talk with some of the professional organizations. You know, there are, uh, I know here in Illinois, uh, we have, you know, uh, uh, various uh, professional organizations around public works or, or, or around, you know, uh, water agencies and so forth. And so, you know, tapping into those organizations, tapping into those network, I think would be very helpful in helping communities identify the resources and the systems that they need to address this matter. Mm. Dante, uh, great advice. Uh, congrats on on getting those shovels going, and uh, look forward to following. Uh, you know, you guys getting that, that lead out of the ground there in Hazelcrest. But thank you for your time, Travis. I thank you for your time and for the opportunity to share this information. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and thank you to the sponsors: Blue Conduit, One Twenty Water, and LeadCopperRule.com. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.